Hello, listeners. This is Culture Shock Therapy. I'm your host, Head Shrink in Charge, Mary Jane Provost here. I'm in the offices. We took a little break. It is still 2022. The world has not come to an end despite numerous international catastrophes, um, people's mental health being all over the place, um, people trying to readjust now that a lot of uh, socially anxious folks like myself don't have the the COVID excuse to be like, I can't hang out. I'm worried about this. It's like, oh, wait, the CDC says we don't have to wear masks. Suddenly, I have to look presentable in public again. This is this is like a big deal. Um, but, you know, we're out here. We're making it. Thank you so much, anyone who clicked on the podcast to listen. Very excited about today's episode. Um, this guest that we have on for today's show, I saw them on TikTok a while ago, and I've been uh, lurking and following um, the things they put out there. They're one of the most prolific guests um, I have had on this show. So really excited to have them on talk about their work. So without any further ado, Rebs Chan, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you could make it. And you are currently in Michigan right now. You're, yes. I think you're the first guest I've had on that is Michigan-based. So congratulations on, on you know, uh, breaking that wall, getting some Michigan representation. We love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be a revolutionary in my own little way. Oh, yeah, certainly, certainly. <laughs> and um, in, uh, we're going to talk about um, your... I don't want to say magnus opus because, like, I feel like that term implies that, like, someone has peaked. But, like, your your giant project, Unzip, we're definitely going to talk about that a little bit later. But in that, you talk a little bit about Kalamazoo. And until recently, until uh, listening to your content, I thought Kalamazoo was, like, a Dr. Seuss town. Like, because um, I, I feel like when I was a kid, some people would, they'd be like, from Kalamazoo to Timbuktu, like I'm not sure if that's a an idiom or whatever else place, but no, you're like no, I, I know about Kalamazoo. I'm I'm familiar with Kalamazoo. So just to get the episode started off, um, we do like to talk about culture shock, of course. Like tell uh, the listeners a little bit about Kalamazoo. Like what's what's the deal there? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so my understanding of Kalamazoo is very much relative to where I grew up. And so Kalamazoo is on the west side of Michigan. And I grew up in a little town on the east side of Michigan called Howell, um, a very, very small town and a very, very um, monoculture town, <laughs> very white. Um, and so I decided to go to Kalamazoo College in Kalamazoo uh, for my education. And to me, Kalamazoo was like this like hopping city, you know, there's like all kinds of different people, different ideas, students in college, like like a bar you could go to. Like that was kind of crazy. Um, but really, I don't know. Kalamazoo is a town of like about 200,000 people. Um, it's It's pretty white, but like. 70% white. So like from my perspective, I was like, wow, this is groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've enjoyed my time in this little town. There's a lot of community and a lot of art and it's it's given me a lot. When you uh, let people know that you're from Michigan, do any people immediately make that uh, like Detroit assumption? And you have to clarify like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, like where I'm from and Detroit are like two separate things because- that, that was one of the first things I wanted to ask you about, but it's like, um, I don't even know, like, uh, do you go to Detroit a lot? Have you, have you been there recently? What's your relationship to the, to that big metropolis? Yeah. I'm always very careful about how I talk about my relationship to Detroit because there's certain people from my hometown who will say they're from the Detroit metro area. And that is a very incorrect thing to say. Um, and so I say, like, I'm about an hour out from Detroit, which is accurate. And um, I have spent some time in the city just because in my hometown, there isn't really anything to do. So if you want to go anywhere and do something, you either drive to Ann Arbor or you drive to Detroit. Um, and so I, I really love Detroit. I really love the city, but I definitely don't claim it as my city because I feel like that's very inaccurate. Um, being in like a small city, um, and like growing up there, was there ever a moment you had growing up where you sort of realized like, oh wait, 
where I'm living is just like a small ecosystem and like a much vaster uh, universe that is like the United States. Did did you ever have a moment of like, because I there's that whole thing of like when we're children and we're exposed to these things, we don't necessarily have anything to compare it to. But then we have that moment later where we look, oh, wait, like I do not live in this great big world. I live in a small world. So did you ever have like a defining moment growing up where you were like, I live in a very small town or was it sort of always apparent to you? I think as a kid, I was lucky that I was able to get out of my hometown a good amount and not for extended periods of time. Um, But when I was really little, my dad would drive back to New York a lot because he's from the suburbs of New York City. And so he'd take me and I, I don't know, I was two or three and we'd go on this 10 hour long car ride and like drive across the whole like northeast of the country. And so I think I was always aware that there was something outside my hometown, but I think it wasn't until I got to college that I really started to understand like the kind of communities that existed outside of my hometown and how I could be part of something different. Um, I just, I think I sort of assumed that like the way I was being like socialized and being part of community in my hometown would be the way I'd always be in community. And so seeing something outside of that from like an integrated, like I'm joining this community for a longer period of time, I think that's what really shifted my perspective doxing you in your your college um are there <laughs> people who attend your um college that are like is is it mostly people that uh, also grew up in the sort of um rural Michigan area or are there any people from like LA who are like oh my god uh this college is so like country this is so like remote or like is pretty much everyone on the same page because I went to um a really really tiny school in rural Tennessee and there would always be people from like bigger cities um even like a bigger city being like um you know something like Nashville or something and they would always be like oh my god this place is so like cute and and quaint have have you experienced any of that sort of like people from bigger cities being a little bit patronizing Oh, yeah, there's definitely both sides of the spectrum because there's people like me who come to the school and it's like, wow, like there's so much to do here. It's like an amusement park. And then um, I've got a lot of friends who are part of the Posse scholarship program. And so like they offer like kids from L.A. full rides to a certain list of liberal arts schools like scattered across the country. And so like they're from L.A. And so they come to Kalamazoo and they're like, this place, there's nothing to do. It's so country. It's so white. Like, how did I end up here? I Like that conversation comes up a lot. It's like I started in L.A. and now I ended up in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, you know. Yeah. Um, so definitely like two different perspectives on the same place. Yeah. Um. I know we're we're only in the first 10 minutes of the episode, so I don't want to ask like the deep questions right off the bat, but I am curious, like being in, um, cause you know, I grew up in the, it's, it's, I love that you brought up the thing about people being like, yeah, I'm from the Detroit metro area because there, we have a similar thing here in Georgia where if you live within like three hours of Atlanta, you just, <laughs> often people will just say they're from Atlanta and then the actual people in the city limits will get mad at that and it's a whole thing but um yeah being in uh rural parts of Michigan and you're being like yeah there's there's not much to do did um did you have to sort of like make your own fun a lot growing up did you have to like um did you have to sort of like entertain yourself find find things to do and get creative instead of just being like you know, there's not like this huge mall we can go to necessarily. There's not like a giant strip in the city. So like, what were some of the things that you um, made interesting for yourself growing up uh, since you didn't have the big city perks to rely on? Yeah, I think as a kid, like like a little kid, I didn't really notice it as much. It was like I was in my little neighborhood and I'd like knock on the other kids' doors and like we'd play like pretend outside in the cul-de-sac and it didn't really bother me that they're there wasn't much to do. I mean, there was a roller rink. So I mean, that yeah. <laughs> that kept me entertained for a good amount of time. Um, but then like once I was in high school, I I think the like where I was living started to limit me a little bit because there was stuff like I wanted to do in high school. And I just I felt like I just didn't know how like I didn't know like who would want to go with me to like a concert or like how I would like you know, like spend a night out. Like I, d- I just didn't know how to do that or where to go. And so 
I think a lot of my high school time, I just spent like very insulated. I had like one or two close friends and I had my homework and, you know, I had my little community theater that I do shows at and like, that was it. That was my little world. And I, I think I was content just having like, you know, my little experience, but then it's like, I get to college and I'm like, oh shoot, like there's a lot of stuff like I've just never done. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you find yourself still being um, sort of like occasionally surprised and taken aback or by this point now that you're um, approaching like the end of your college journey, are you kind of like, nah, I think I think I'm used to this. Like I could I could go to the big city and not be surprised or do you, do you still feel sort of like a small town person inside? I think in some ways I do still feel kind of (laughs) rural. Like whenever I go to a bigger city, especially New York, I just, I get so like claustrophobic. It's like, there's all these tall buildings everywhere and I can't see the sky and it's like, what's happening? What's going on? Um, But I think at least Kalamazoo (laughs) I've adapted to and I've, I've gotten to know like my little like corner of it and a little bit outside of my world. But I think I do still like I like to venture outside of my comfort zone a little bit. But at the end of the day, I sort of just like turn inward and, you know, have my few close friends. And yeah. What's the um, artistic scene like in Kalamazoo? Like if you're trying to do like, you know, musical gigs, uh, performance, you mentioned like community theater. But um, is, is there sort of like a big scene for that or is it more so like? If you want to do like some, you know, some really good gigs, you got to go to like Detroit or like this other place. Or um, is is it is it more so like there's there's a fair amount of artistic people in Kalamazoo. What, what have you, what have you experienced more so? Yeah, I, I think for the size of city it is, there's a good amount of um, art to do. I think especially the theater scene is pretty robust. Um, Kalamazoo College and Western Michigan University both have. Um, decent theater programs. And then there's also a few theaters in town. So there's a queer theater, there's um, face-off theater, which focuses on black theater. And then there's also like a big community theater and like a regional professional theater. So a lot of different options there. Um, I do know like the music scene has dwindled out a lot after the pandemic. Um, I didn't go out much as a freshman, which was the only time I was in school and the pandemic wasn't happening. But mm. from what I understand, like there were a lot more like restaurant music gigs and like little concerts happening around a lot of like house shows. And so that's like slowly starting to ramp back up. And I think in time it'll come back. Uh, yeah, I, I hope I hope it does come back because it sounds like um, people can't sleep on Kalamazoo. You guys got your own thing going on. Things are things are good. Um, Adjusting a little bit to like the mental health uh, side of this here program. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Sorry. Um, but, you know, you're, you mentioned that you started out being um, really, you know, kind of introverted your freshman year. And have you sort of like noticed any like personal, um, you know, like, uh, have, was there like a Rebs redemption arc of like, okay, I started out here, you know, I'm, I'm not going out too much. And then, you know, you, you sort of pr- produce unzipped and have this other thing. And I imagine like your, um, your TikTok, um, I don't know if like people even on camp, like what's it like to be sort of on campus and your TikToks go viral if people like talk to you about that. But like, um, have you had a little bit of a, a little bit of a internal journey and in being more extroverted or are you basically still the same rebs from freshman year in terms of like being uh, a more quiet, um personal uh small space individual yeah i think i've definitely grown and evolved and found some of my own extroversion and i think a lot of that is um it took a a while for me to figure out like how to find community and how to find the people i really clicked with and i think once i did then i really like blossomed and was more comfortable like hanging out with a lot of people and just like talking to people I didn't know that well, but sort of like knew my friends. So then I felt more comfortable. Um, And on our campus, like one of the most like important places to me is called the Intercultural Center. And it's a space that didn't exist a few years ago, but like students like really fought for it and petitioned. And then they gave students like one room in the student center that was the Intercultural Center. And it's like a space where students of color can like get together, host events. Um, a lot of stewards um, have meetings there. And I remember my freshman year, I came into the space 
And um, for context, um, my dad is Chinese and my mom is white and I grew up in like a very white town. And so like I would get emails from the director about different events they were having. And I always read those. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I should go there because like I feel like I'm still carrying a lot of stuff. And like I catch myself like, you know, having like slips and moments. And I, I don't want to go and just like make people uncomfortable. And so like for a long time, I just sort of told myself like, like maybe I'm not white, but I'm not the kind of person who should be in that space. And I was kind of like stuck in this um, this like frame of mind for a while. And so I think slowly as like I, w- I was going through more school and making friends and connections, I-, I was learning more about like different people because I was around different people for the mm-hmm. first time. And I was also understanding more of like the way my friends who were people of color treated me versus like the way my white friends treated me, which is something I get into a little bit in unzipped in sort of an extreme case, but (laughs) even in like little ways, I would notice the differences. And so it's like everything went online. And then when we came back, I said like, I really want to make an effort to like go to the intercultural center and like go to these events and like really like be a part of this community. And so I think this year, like now that I'm back in person and I sort of like know what I'm doing and I feel comfortable like being in this community. I've I've come out of my shell a lot more. I've started talking to a lot more people. I've I feel a lot more connected to what's going on in campus. And um it's just been a really good experience for me. And sometimes I'm disappointed in myself that it took me a while to get here or I feel like I came to it kind of late. But at the end of the day, like I'm I'm glad that like I found my people and that I feel comfortable. Um, one of my favorite things, and I'm going to mention unzipped like a million times during this because that's how much I, I support it. But, uh, you mentioned, uh, the sort of like, um, banana phenomenon, which is, uh, you know, um, as a POC over here, um, I knew the term being Oreo, which is, and it's, it's essentially the, the same concept. And, um, what you just mentioned, I, I really relate to when, you know, when I was at college, I was always, I felt uh, scared isn't necessarily the right word, but we, we had, um, we also had, you know, posse students, we had a multicultural center and I always, um, I felt who I, 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 a lot of it was probably self-imposed isolation because, you know, a lot of times when I would interact with, um multicultural organizations on campus I, I would be welcome and um you know people would be extremely friendly and everything but i sort of um you know in that process i had to be like okay most like 90 percent of my friends are white and i feel like if if like i go into this organization like will, will it seem like that i'm like trying too hard like is am i gonna seem like you know like a a 40 year old white businessman like diversifying my portfolio right now like like what is it gonna come off like um did did, did you have any of that um sort of like moment where you like okay like i just need to do this like i need to let go of the fear i need to validate myself because that, that's something i kind of regret in uh my college experience is not taking that leap further. So did you ever have like um, a moment where you had to push yourself being like, just because I grew up in a white area, that does not invalidate my experiences and my rights to sort of be a part of the multicultural center now? Yeah, I think one of my um, like biggest breakthrough moments, and I feel so bad because now I can't remember which friend I was talking to. But for a long time, I was really stuck in this idea of like, I grew up in a white space, so like I know like how white people have hurt me. So if I go to this like multicultural space and I'm still carrying, I'm still carrying that whiteness, then I'll go and do the same thing because like I know it happens. And so I was really stuck in this mental loop of like all I'm gonna do is harm and like I just I can't be there. Um and one of my friends was like, Well, like you know how it works. So like the fact that you're aware of it means that like even if you do make a mistake, like you'll you'll pick yourself up you'll do better and it's like it's the awareness that that means like this is a place you can be in you know and so i think <laughs> once i realized that i was like okay like yeah like i know how it works so i'm not going to do it <laughs> yeah, i'm yeah. not going to do the thing cuz i see the thing and i just won't do it and so then i i think that kind of happened like while we were all online and then once we were back in person i um 
I started like going to the events and like being very intentional. And I also joined um, our college's all POC acapella group. <laughs> and I wasn't sure I was going to do that. But one of my friends was the director and they were like, you got it. You just got to sign up. There's one slot left on the audition form. Like, just do it. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I will. So then I did it. And like, it's been great. I really love that community. And so I think like integrating myself into these spaces has just been a really wonderful process. What's the name of y'all's um, acapella group? Because I did acapella as well. It's acapac. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, my um, and uh, previously on the show, I actually had at the time, uh, the acapella groups, uh, the person I was, uh, the group I was in was called Key of D, ironic now because I'm trans and I was in an all male acapella group. But um, I've had the, the at the time, director of that on the show. So I don't mean to slight them, but it was like an extremely white group to where I was usually like the token minority in the group. And um, a lot of the other like POCs would typically join like the um, Glee Club gospel group that was like on campus. And they were like doing their own thing and doing their own great music. But I, I kind of like already felt committed to the acapella thing. I didn't know if I could do like two different. And also like um, I, 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 I'm like a little bit self-conscious of myself as a vocalist. So like, I was like, I can kind of do this because like, I'm mostly like beatboxing and stuff, but like they're, they're doing like different kind of compositions and I don't know if my voice is strong enough, but yeah, I'm, I'm so glad your campus has a, um, how many acapella groups does your campus have? I'm curious. It's funny because we're not a big college, but we actually have four acapella groups, um, okay. which is kind of impressive. Yeah. Did you ever um consider any of the other ones or was it like, no, this acapella like that's that's me all day 100 percent. yeah i mean like not to be biased or anything but acapella like the best acapella group on campus so i was like yeah. no i want to be there um yeah. and all the acapella groups have like their own like personality um and i just i felt like acapella was the group that i like made the most sense in yeah i i totally feel like that movie pitch perfect has changed acapella groups and glee club <laughs> in college forever like like yeah um I remember, uh, you know, I was in Key of D and, you know, we had that that masculine energy that's, you know, um, thing going on. And then there was the uh, like co-ed group. Um, I think they were called Cambiata. And then there was an all girl group. I think they were called Cadence. And yeah, it, we, we each had our own thing and we would kind of like compete with each other. It, it was really, but yeah, uh, acapella, if, if there are any like, high schoolers or people who haven't started college yet like give acapella a try it's a, it's a good i think rebs and i can both agree it's it's a good time <laughs> fun <laughs> um yeah uh so you know we're we're talking a little bit about how you feel about sort of like being in more um diversified groups and everything um there there was a moment where it, it was really I think I w it was one of those things where I was probably the only one who felt conflicted about it and everyone else is just going about their day. But I remember like I went to a, a POC like event slash party and, you know, like it was one of those situations where 90% of the attendees are either POCs or like or I like to call like people invited to the barbecue slash picnic. Like they might be like basically like white allies who are not problematic who are with the program who aren't trying to like prove anything. So like, it would be weird because, you know, my, my roommate and his, his friend, you know, they would be like, you know, chilling in our, our dorm and then it'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go to this thing. And they're like, Oh cool. Is it a party? Like, like, like kind of implying like, Hey, what's the deal? Can I go? And I'm like, yeah, sure. It is like with like the black student union. And then, like, there was kind of, like, this underlying unspoken thing of, like, okay, I'm going to do, like, my black thing now. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I'll go back to, to, to my white group. Did you ever feel like you had two separate – or uh, you, you're kind of, like, going through it right now since you're actively in college. But do you ever feel like you have two separate groups, like your POC group and then your your white friend group? Or more, more so now, are you, like, it's all sort of um, intermingled and things are more interspersed? That's not the right word. I'm an English major. I should know. No, but you know what I mean? Things are um, in a melting pot or are they still sort of uh, separated right now? 
Yeah, I think um, in some ways it still feels separated, but I feel like I'm sort of on like a different side of it because my freshman year, most of the friends I ended up making were white people. Part of that's because the school is mostly white people, but also because I felt like at least like on the surface level, there was more stuff I could like relate to with my white friends because I like grew up around white people. So like I knew all the stuff, you know, like that's, you know, I like talk white people talk, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it it just made more sense. So, you know, I, I don't know. My friends just ended up like being white people. And then it felt like if I was like branching out of my friend group, then I was like maybe in like POC spaces. Um, And I think now, I've gotten to a point where I've sort of like swung the opposite way on the pendulum where like I just I feel a lot more comfortable with like my friends who aren't white and when we're, <laughs> you know, I don't know, just doing our stuff. And then and then it feels like weird, like it feels like, OK, if I'm like hanging out with like a bunch of white people, like now I'm in like the white people's space when like I could just go back to, <laughs> to my other space, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think in some ways it still like feels separate, but just like in a different way. Yeah, it's and you know to this day most of my friends are are, are are still white people, so I'm trying to be like um you know gentle in the way I put this, but to a certain degree there is sometimes like a feeling of a weight lifted off your shoulders when you are in those spaces of people who either look like you or can understand certain things you go through that maybe your white friends can't, and it's kind of like okay now let's like let's like. I don't want to say like, let's really like be me because I'm still me with my white friends, but it's like, it's almost, I don't know. It's it, sometimes it does feel a little bit like a side I can't express as easily. Um, do you ever relate to that? Like feeling like there's, there's a part of Rebs that you can show to the POC, uh, your POC friends, or maybe be more complete or whole that maybe is a little bit harder to uh, show in those white spaces. Yeah, I definitely think so. And it's like, it's hard to say like what specifically it is, but I agree. There's like, like the the weight being lifted. And I think part of it is just like so, so much of my life experience has been shaped by like being the only person who wasn't white in a space that in some ways, like I'm used to that. But then like when I'm able to break out of that, it's like, oh, like this is so different and this is so nice. And I don't have to always like answer for myself or justify myself, you know. So then now that I've been able to branch out of that a little bit, like when I come back into it, I sort of like, I don't know, in some ways I feel myself like regress a little bit. Like there's, you know, like ideas I have now that like maybe I don't feel as comfortable like sharing in those spaces or like, you know, like ways of thinking that you know, I feel comfortable sharing with my friends of color. And then like, once I go back into those white spaces, I sort of like retreat and I sort of go back into like Howell Rebecca and like, you know, how does, how does like Rebecca in Howell, you know, deal with this versus like the person I, you know, become now it's, yeah. Um, I think we're like, we're growing up in a very interesting time to where like, say 10, 20 years ago, we would have our, um, white friends and you know i'll also extend this to like there are definitely like pocs who can like maybe be part of the problem without knowing it by like either like rejecting their own race and like trying to assimilate with white people so it's not strictly white people but we we are in this time now where like previously people who wouldn't be part of the program are now like trying to you know um educate themselves better themselves like reject their their racist um history and like i look back on like the some of the friends i had when i was like especially like because when i was in middle school this was during uh when like obama was like starting to become popular and everything so like there were different kind of racial tensions and back then it was just simply okay to be like I don't think we should have a black president. That's weird. Like people could say that and you, they wouldn't get that much backlash at the time. And then it's, so I'm just like looking back and amazed at how like I would have people I consider close friends who would say all these amazingly offensive and racist things. But because it was that time period, I didn't really think anything of it. I just thought like, yeah, this is just something they said, and it might make me feel a little bit weird, but they're like, there's nothing I can do about it. And now a lot of those same people I've had to since like cut out of my life because they 
either devolved into being Trump supporters or, you know, did not necessarily like change their ways. But then I also have those friends who like, I know they said racist things to me in the past, you know, they had awkward conversations like, can I say the N word around you and, and yada, 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 all this and stuff. Um, and now they're trying to like reform their ways and they're bettering themselves. So I wanted to ask you, um, because in Unzipped, you talk about like some of the friendships you had with people who had problematic ideologies and viewpoints. So I want to ask you if there are any friends from your childhood that you keep in touch with who are like genuinely bettering themselves, and that people like, you know what? I'm I'm proud of you, fellow not not fellow. I'm proud of you, white person, for like educating yourself and you're actually trying. Um, because like um, I don't want to like give those friends credit for like basically doing what they should have been doing all along. But it is nice to see people that are genuinely trying to improve themselves. Uh, have you seen any friends from your past sort of like, you know, basically try and level up? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think like with most of my friends, like from like middle school or high school, it's like they either just like totally like went down the way wrong path yeah. or they're like slowly kind of <laughs> working toward where we need them to be, you know. And so I think with most of those friends, it's like, yeah, like it's cool. Like we can talk and stuff like, you know, maybe you're not like my bestie anymore, but you know, we'll still like, you know, you're cool. You're cool. You're like doing the right thing and you're you're working on it. So I'm proud of you for that. And I think like sometimes it can be a little frustrating when like you've like grown faster than somebody else or when like out of necessity you've had to like let go of some things that somebody else hasn't been able to. Um, But then like being able to recognize that like there is progress and that maybe in some ways like your connection can like foster that growth and that process. Um, I think like that's a good thing to reflect on. Absolutely. Um, At this time of the show, I don't think I've actually done this before, but we're going to have like a little intermission so we can uh, play a Rebs single. Um, I'm not sure uh, what song it's going to be yet. We'll probably talk about it um, off mic about like a good song for the, the interlude, but you're about to hear an amazing Rebs song. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about um, some of Rebs projects and continue this dialect. So stay tuned and enjoy this song. We will be right back on Culture Shock Therapy. Sitting through your latte Okay, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that song from Rebs. We're going to play another one at the very end of this episode. And to kick off the second half, we're going to talk a little bit about the good old queer representation, the good old religion, the good old growing up in rural areas and having those two things maybe not always like agreeing with each other. So um, this is an extremely personal question, Rebs, but when did you first realize that you were not straight? <laughs> Or to, to not mince words, when did you realize like, yeah, this isn't for me. I'm not about that life. Yeah, I think compared to a lot of the people in my hometown who later realized they were queer in some capacity, I think I, I caught on pretty early. Um, and I think eighth grade is is when I realized. And it's because like for a couple of years, I had like told myself I had crushes on guys, but it was really like there'd be like a guy who was my friend and I was like, Oh, like he's not ugly. And like, I get along with him. <laughs> so You're like, like, he's not repulsive. He's not. I repulsive. think I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I think that means like I have a crush, right? Cause there's yeah. this guy who like I get along with or something. And so I would like convince myself I had these crushes and then like think about people. Cause I was like, when you have a crush, you're supposed to like think about them a lot. So I like, mm-hmm. I kind of like yeah. tricked myself into thinking that way. But then um, in eighth grade, I, I had this friend who was a girl and then I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, it's so, like I get along with her and like, I don't think she's ugly. And actually <laughs> I think she's pretty. And like, maybe I'd want to kiss her. And then yeah. I was like, wait, 
but my guy friend who I have a crush on, I don't think I want to kiss him. And yeah. so then it was like a couple years of like this cycle would kind of continue. And I was like, hmm, I think actually I don't like men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, you, you sort of like that, that, that reconciliation inside where it's like slowly you're like accepting these things. Um, in your life when you were growing up, did you have any sort of like – because I definitely did not have – queer role models growing up in in georgia um there there was really as a matter of fact part of why it took me so long to you know come to terms with the whole trans thing is because i literally had no frame of reference except um you know like um like reality television that features queer people which is like it's it's, it's like a nice gateway but it does not compare to actually having like um a gay or um you know gender non-conforming or trans person like actually in your life did was there anyone that you were like hey this person is like open and, and gay and like they're they're doing okay or did you very much have to be like all right i don't really have anything to go off of but i have to be me yeah um there growing up like there really were no queer people around me and i think most of that's because like if if you grow up in Howell and you realize you're gay, like you get out, <laughs> you don't yeah. stay there very long. So there weren't any adults in any capacity who were queer around me growing up. Um, and I think I, I was lucky in two ways. I think the first is that for high school, I actually decided to go to a high school that was like a 30 minute drive from my house. Um, it was it was kind of strange because it was technically a public school and it was free, but you had to take a test to get in. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how that worked with like the yeah. state and funding and everything. But um, I went to a school in a town that was not much bigger than my own, but like drew in some people from like different areas in Southeast Michigan. So there were some, I mean, not a lot, but there were a few like gay people in my high school who were like juniors or seniors when I was a freshman. And so I was like, oh, like this is a thing that like people can like really be. That's interesting. And then I was also lucky in that I was like in eighth and ninth grade, sort of in like the advent of Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I think through Tumblr, I was like, oh, like there's all these like gay people out there. That's so cool. And yeah. so it would just be these little like like, you know, text posts, like in my Tumblr feed reminding me that like gay people exist. And so <laughs> I think, I think Tumblr helped me in some ways. Shout out Tumblr and rest in peace <laughs> Tumblr. I think I actually still get emails that are being like, you haven't checked your dash, dude. Da, da, da. And it's just like, yeah, I feel like new sites have kind of like taken the good things about Tumblr and just sort of like grown upon them to where making it a little bit obsolete now. But, um, yeah, um, you also grew up, um, I can relate to this because I am from a very religious background in it, uh, in a different place now. And you also, you specifically grew up Lutheran. Um, what is it like in the uh, Lutheran community for um, basically people who want to live their life as openly queer? Like, is, is, is it a sort of thing in the community where it's like, it's an unsaid thing where there's plenty of gay people, but no one says anything, or is there sort of like a stance in the church about, you know, yay or nay? I think it really depends on like your specific like church community, but then also like which branch of Lutheranism there is because like, not to like spill the Lutheranism drama, but there's <laughs> like two, <laughs> it's really, it feels like it. There's like two major like div divisions of Lutheranism in the States. And one of them is the Missouri Synod and the other is the ELCA. And the Missouri Synod is like, is very conservative. Um, I'd say they're like closer to Catholicism than the other branch. So it's like, you know, like, actually, I don't keep up to date on Catholicism. Maybe they've changed their ways, but you know, <laughs> like no gay people, you know, no queerness. That's against yeah. the Bible. You know, you're gonna, going to hell, that sort of idea. Um, and then the other branch is the ELCA and their, um, at least their leadership is a bit more progressive. So like they generally like lean Democrat and like say things like refugees aren't bad yeah. And like gay people are human, um, yeah. you know, which which is the bare minimum. But I guess they're doing something. Um, but then like the specific church kind of changes things. So like my like the church I went to was of like the ELCA technically, but the majority of people there um, swung very, very conservative and did not like gay people. And yeah. I think our 
our pastor never really like addressed anything one way or the other. It was very apolitical. Um, but I think it it was sort of acknowledged like it's okay if you don't like gay people and it's it's okay if you do like gay people. It you know, it, which which isn't very helpful when most of the people in the congregation don't like gay people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um it sounds like it's been positive for your mental health to sort of branch off from Lutheranism, explore your own relationships with spiritualism. So, you know, anyone listening to this, if you're conflicting with it, you, like it's very important to like look out for yourself and your well-being because we have a limited time on this earth and like living it in a place of like, you know, fear and repression and all this, it can it can really it it definitely does more more harm than good. So I'm I'm glad you're like in a better place now. Um is it different now if you go back to like Lutheran church being like, you know, you're you're almost done with college, you're more expressive and everything. Is it a little bit like do you kind of go in with a different mindset or do people like I don't know if you have like old church friends or like old church ladies like the same people that have been there forever, but is it a little bit different going back now? Yeah, um it's it's a little strange going back to church in my hometown because my parents they actually go to a new church now because the church we went to before I think my sophomore year of college there was like a big like schism and like people were taking sides and then it ended up with the pastor being like our version of excommunicated basically oh, oh and no. so then the church like split three different ways like there were people who were still going to like the same church by name and then there were people going to like like the the underground church with like the pastor who was excommunicated but like held meetings at like the the like the eagle club or whatever and, and then there were the people who just like left and found a new place and so that's like where my parents are is they're like the church community is so important to them and so they're trying to find a new community and so I do feel like a little strange when I go back home and like my mom, she's still like church shopping a little bit. And so she's always excited. She's like, okay, Rebecca, like you're going to come home and like tell me like what you think of like this this new church that we're going to. And like, you know, I'm going to introduce you to all these people and it's going to be very exciting. And and I get a little weird. And then our town's so small that even at those new churches, like I know some of the people still. So then yeah. it's like, oh, like your your middle school teacher is like at this church. Like, we're, aren't you so excited to talk to him? And I'm like, Eh, it's a little awkward. <laughs> I, I feel like I've changed a lot since middle school. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. 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 I definitely have to message you more about this off mic because I have the same, like my mom is literally like in the process of church shopping basically now. And it's the same thing where like, you know, my parents are like, they really want me to be a part of this like community, but it's like, you know, this community is very like, I know you guys see it as being, all these amazing things but for me it's very like limited and it's it's very much like i can show like two percent of who i actually am and you know being adults now that's not that's not really like ideal like we don't want to spend our time doing that so i totally relate to like that feeling of like you don't want to be like no i'm not going to church mom but you know at the same time it's like these people are kind of I, I I would not hang out with these people um, outside of this environment, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, uh, moving on a little bit from, um, you know, religion and um, um, uh, sexuality. I want to talk about your art, which I totally relate to you because one of my favorite things about um, actually, I'm going to let you describe what Unzipped is because it's so much more than a production or um interactive experience is honestly one of the most um like expansive and complex things i've ever seen on stage so i'm gonna let you describe what it is right now yeah um so like my philosophy and uh creating that work is very rooted in my philosophy as an artist and i think of myself as an intersectional artist and that um that comes into being in a couple ways like firstly like I see myself as a very intersectional person like I carry a lot of identities that are all like crossing and like mingling with each other and so like I, I enjoy celebrating that and then as an artist I enjoy work that is intersectional in some way with like genre or form or, or media and like not limiting myself to the kinds of art that we know and like the kinds of forms we already have in place so um unzipped 
is my um, like coming of age story as a queer Chinese American growing up in rural Michigan. And the story is told um, through monologue and through song and through like projection. Um, and it, it alternates between like these theatrical monologues and like songs that I've written on my own. Uh, and it's, that's how the, the story is told. And I, I, the storytelling I enjoy most is all like from some tradition of oral storytelling. And so I feel like I can describe the piece as theater and I could describe the piece as concert and I could describe it as oral storytelling. And I don't know if any of those like is totally accurate because um, it's it's intersectional. It's trying to find the intersections between these forms and like how can we tell a story in in a new way. Anyone listening, um, check out Unzipped. It is It runs around uh, two hours, am I correct? Yeah, about an hour 45. Yeah, and but it blows by like it's 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 like the experience of like netflix binging because i started i was like this is this is like um this is you know longer than i expected but then i'm I'm watching it it's already like 45 minutes in and and then there's like storylines and there's characters i want to know more about and then also um I, I think you like place the music at like the perfect spots to where you're, you're telling this story but almost in a similar way to like musical theater works where like you know there will be dialogue and scenes but then there'll be songs to communicate something else and then you also have the the visuals and, and, and the pictures going on it's just everyone uh please 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 go check out unzipped can't recommend it um enough was there ever um a period when you were making the production when you wanted to simplify it because you know my favorite thing about it is how expansive it is but um you know definitely when i'm like trying to produce these things i have like a similar thing with you to where like i like music and i like comedy and i like perform i like i like and you actually went out there and combined all these things but was was there anyone out there telling you like and eh, maybe just do songs or maybe just do a one person show and um, what was it ultimately that made you be like, no, this is going to be an intersectional tour de force? Yeah. Um, so the for the creative process, I, I started with um, the songs and I had written them not necessarily knowing they would be a part of this project. Um, but just like as I was living my life, I would write songs about what was going on. It was a way that I was able to process. And so um, once I realized that for my senior project of of college that's what this that's how this came into being was as my senior project um i knew that in some way i wanted to tell my story because i hadn't seen my story told before um and i just so happened to have these like songs that were telling my story but i also understood that in order to make it make sense i needed some kind of like storytelling thread to connect everything and so i started this process of like writing these monologues that would go in between the songs and like figuring out the order of everything and definitely along the way, um, like some of my mentors at school were like, hey, like, uh, I don't know if like we can really like produce this whole thing. I think at one point the conversation was, so Rebecca or yeah, like if you can't find any musicians, like would you be able to do it like just you like sitting in a chair with like a little like guitar? And I was like, I could. I hope not. But I mean, that's definitely possible. Um, but I think generally um, – like because I sort of like stuck to like timelines I had set for myself, um, I was I was trusted to make this thing happen, um, and so I, I think like the the story had to be in that form because like that was the way the story could best be told, and it's it's hard because it's like I like I don't know like why this is the best way the story could be told, and like in some ways it's like I don't know how it could be different, but there's just something like inside that's like I know like. I know like this is how I need to craft it. And like, I need these songs at these moments because it's like very like specific emotions of my experience. And like, I need these like monologues to connect and, and I need like the voices of different characters to come through. And like, it's it's hard to explain, but it's just something inside. It's like, I know like this is what the project needs to be. Yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying because like, I, I'm imagining unzipped like without any one of those elements, like without the visual elements or without... Um, the monologues and it's like simply like all these things like together make the piece so like it, it, yeah it's it's um it's, it's so amazing to to watch um was there ever a moment when um you 
are like, hmm, maybe this should be like a memoir. Maybe this should be um, like a fictionalized play. Or in your mind, was it always sort of like a more musical performance type of uh, project for you? I think I think I always pictured at least once this idea for this project came into being, it was always like, okay, like I know this is going to be some kind of like musical concert um, experience. And, and I think that's partly because like the project like comes out of more specific things. So like it comes out of songs I had written and it also comes out of like creative nonfiction pieces I had written before. So then like once I realized that like I needed to like bring all of this together in some way, I think my idea for the form stayed pretty consistent. Um, and what's kind of funny is that uh, I, I was sort of in, I was inspired by Bruce Springsteen um, because my dad absolutely loves uh, Bruce Springsteen. And when I was back home a few years ago, um, Bruce Springsteen released this um, like uh, like Bruce Springsteen on Broadway and it was on Netflix. So you could like watch it at home. And my dad was like, hey, Rebecca, like. I like Bruce Springsteen and sure. you like theater. So we're going to sit down and watch the three hour long Springsteen on Broadway. And I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, like, I guess like kudos to Bruce for like d- doing yeah. the thing, but it was really long. Yeah. And I, I felt like if you hadn't bought into the idea of Bruce Springsteen as this like mythic, like rock figure that I, I feel like the show wouldn't work. Um, but I, it was like this like combination of like like a storytelling concert. And I think it was definitely leaning like more concert than like what my show ended up being. But I was like, wait, you can do this thing where like you tell stories like during your concert and like you weave it all together and you've got like these threads and you talk about growing up. I was like, that's so cool. I'm going to do that. Being, uh, influencing it. That, that's something I didn't expect to hear, but it kind of also makes like perfect sense. Um one of my favorite parts of your show is when you mentioned uh, St. Vincent. That was like such a touchstone moment for me because on my old laptop, um, I have like Annie um, from her um, days doing uh, like the St. Vincent self-titled album, like as my background. And I, I'm totally obsessed with her. But another artist I'm um, obsessed with that you are too is is Mitski. And uh, Mitski is also related to uh, some of the success you had on TikTok. So I wanted to ask you, like, what does um, Mitski as an artist mean to you? Um, and what do you think, like, makes um, Mitski's music so unique? Like, there, there's, in, in a sea of, like, Phoebe Bridgers and uh, Lucy Dacus's and, and all these other sort of artists who do similar things, what do you think makes Mitski one of the GOATs right now in um sad powerful uh rock music yeah um i i really love mitski and it's kind of funny because i feel like in some ways i like i found mitski but in some ways mitski found me (laughs) which sounds like so so like eclectic but um because i like had casually been liking mitski for a little while and then Somehow we got into the whole like strawberry blonde discourse about like all these people saying they really relate to it. And it's like, well, like, uh, I don't know. So I think I just I made like a quick TikTok that was like kind of a joke about that. And it got something like, I don't know, 5000 likes. And like I was like, oh, that's a lot. Like a lot of people are are looking at this thing. And then people kept like asking me about like Mitski songs. And I was like, okay, like I'll listen to this. I'll tell you what I think. And eventually I'd like gone through Mitski's like entire discography talking about all the songs um and I mean I'm I'm very happy I've gone through all that but I think it's kind of funny that on on TikTok I'm sort of like the number one like Mitski Mitski fan because like (laughs) I really like distance myself from like fandom culture or like idolizing people you know so I I think it's funny that that kind of like became my personal brand (laughs) on that platform um but I do I do really love Mitski's work and I just I love um, how how like it's like her work is very like specific and imagery and like symbolism and idea, but it's also like very open in the kind of like experiences that language is describing. And so I love like well, this sounds like kind of counterintuitive after I talked about Strawberry Blonde, but I love that like you can interpret it in in different ways. And um, I don't know. I also really love like how as a writer, Mitski's very aware of like who 
the who the singer is in relationship to like the other like characters in the song um and i think like the the character of like the speaker or the person singing is like very carefully crafted and i appreciate that about the work if um there's any listeners who have not heard of mitski's music and like i can see if someone's like going into it listening to like um is the album called laurel hell yeah yeah, if, if like they're starting with Laura Hell or like Be the Cowboy, I can see how you would like listen to it and not necessarily get it. But like for any first timers, is there like a record or a single that you would recommend? Like, here's where you need to start. And then you'll like get why we're obsessed with her. I really love Bury Me at Makeout Creek. I like that's my that's my favorite Mitski album. I think there's it's, it's a, lot a masterpiece. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, puberty two is my favorite one i that got me through like sophomore year of college i would just listen to it over and i remember when it, i saw it announced on Bandcamp. i was like who is this and then it was like album album of the year hands down some of the like mitski is probably my favorite uh lyricist to write about loneliness because it just feels so not knocking anything against like you're you're the taylor swifts of the world but like when mitski writes about loneliness you really know that like there is true pain like it's just communicated in such a way that like you're almost like should you be talking about this this is like really deep right now but mitski goes to those places and uh i think that's why we love her so much but um going back to like you and your musical endeavors you're about to you know this is your last year of college um not to be like a boomer like what are your plans uh once you get your degree but like uh what are some of the artistic things that you're you're interested in now like you sort of have like a little bit of a tiktok following um unzipped is out there so like what what are some of the things that you'd like to maybe try new things or expand other projects will we maybe see like a rebs full-length lp coming out yeah um i'm hoping to keep keep working on unzipped in a couple different ways. Um, and I think it's hard to like plan future projects. It's like, I kind of just got to wait until like something is like really striking me. Um, but with unzipped, like in the theater way, I want to keep like working on it and like finding places I can produce it. And, um, but I also, um, musically I'm trying to, um, produce like a, a, like an album that has all the songs from the show. And it's definitely, I, I tend to like underestimate how long it'll take me to do things. So it's, it's going to take a while. <laughs> it's going to be a while until everything's ready, but I'm, I'm slowly like chipping away at this process of like recording all the parts and then like I'll have to mix it and do all this stuff. Um, and I've also got like a couple like music videos to go with some of those songs that are also like in progress and like slowly working away. Um, so like this project is exciting because I can like take it in a lot of different directions and like keep watching it grow. Um, and then after that, like I'm sure another project will hit me and I don't know, I'll, I'll take off running with it. Thank you so much, Revs, for coming on the show. I totally reached out to you out of the blue, just like, okay, I hope this person responds. I'm a big fan. And I think this episode was really fantastic. I think we had great conversations. Um, I do want the listeners to be able to keep tabs on you. So at this point, is there anything you'd like to promote in terms of like where they can keep up with your work, either on TikTok or your band camp? Like uh, you can let people know, feel free to plug anything basically. Right now. Yeah, um, my TikTok is at Rebs, R-E-B-S underscore Chan, C-H-A-N. Um, and then my Instagram is at Rebs, R-E-B-S dot, dot, <laughs> um, C-H-A-N. Um, and at both places, there's a link in my bio where you can find a, a full recording of Unzipped on YouTube and also, you know, links to my other social media and stuff. So I don't know if you're interested, check it out. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Are there any parting words you'd like to leave uh, with the listeners? Anyone who might, um, you know, be in a similar place, maybe people starting out university, people feeling marginalized, um, maybe feeling unwelcomed who might need to like break free. Do you have any, any last parting uh, advice or uh, words of encouragement for those people? Yeah. Um, my big mantra lately has been indulge in your complexity. Um, cause I think as you're going through life, there's a lot of people who will try to deny, um, your complexity and try to make you be a simpler person than you are, but you are like beautifully complex and let yourself indulge in that and enjoy it. 
Thank you so much. This has been another session of Culture Sluxus Therapy. I am Mary Jane Provost, and with me today was the one and only Rebs. And whenever you are listening to this morning, afternoon, or evening, we hope you have a wonderful day, and we hope you enjoy your free therapy. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. It's all